0: Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you a story within a story today. Once upon a time, our father Abraham was sitting outside his tent in the heat of the day when three men appeared walking towards him. He did not know these men. They were strangers to him. But as they drew near... He went to his wife and servants and had them scurry about, making preparations to receive these three strangers. He wanted to bring them to his tent, have them sit at his table, and provide a meal for them. And while they waited for the meal to be prepared, he gave them refreshing snacks and something to drink. And it was in the course of that conversation with these three strangers that Abraham realized that these men were no men at all. One of the men was the Lord God. Two of the men were angels. And two of those men who were angels left after the meal to go down to visit the city of Sodom. Abraham stood in the presence of the Lord, praying on behalf of Sodom and and carrying on a conversation with him. One of the beautiful aspects of that story is that our father Abraham showed hospitality to a stranger, and he entertained angels unaware. He welcomed someone to his house, not because he was trying to win their favor or approval, but simply because it was the right and good thing to do, and he was commended for that. In the story we find in Luke 14, we see a ruler of the Pharisees doing the same kind of thing that his father Abraham did. He's welcoming a stranger who happens to be the Lord God. Now, when this ruler of the Pharisees invited Jesus to his house, he was not inviting him because he was God in the flesh. He invited him because he was interested in Jesus. He was curious about him, and he wanted to get to know him better. He knew Jesus as a teacher and as a healer, as a man who went about doing good, But he did not know that this was God in the flesh. He's simply entertaining a man, entertaining a man that was a stranger to him. And in doing so, he reaps a great reward. Now, you might find this story to be a little perplexing because throughout this series, we have seen Jesus interact with the Pharisees and. Let's just say that the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees is complicated. There are times when the Pharisees are curious about Jesus. There are times when they want to kill Jesus, as you saw last week. In Luke 13, we find that as Jesus was drawing near to the city of Jerusalem, some Pharisees actually went out to Jesus and warned him to stay away from the city because King Herod wanted to kill him. And now you see Jesus, perhaps with one of those Pharisees, sitting at a banquet, sitting at a feast, and it happened to be the Sabbath day. Now, I don't know what your impressions of the Sabbath are, but oftentimes when we think of the Sabbath, we think of all the things that we cannot do. Am I right? Think of all the things we cannot do, because if we do those forbidden things, then we will violate the Sabbath and offend God and we'll all be in trouble Because we didn't keep the Sabbath holy. In our denomination, we hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith along with its catechisms. The shorter catechism says this about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, Except so much as is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. If you're like most ministry candidates I know, if you're like most people I know who read this, you think, woo, that's a lot to do. That feels heavy. What is the one thing that gets left out of this explanation of the Sabbath? It's the one thing the Pharisees were really good at doing: throwing parties. You see, this is the Sabbath, and this Pharisee is throwing a party on the Sabbath, and he's invited all kinds of people to come and to enjoy this Sabbath rest. He's invited friends and relatives. He's invited Jesus to come, and Jesus is right there enjoying this Sabbath meal along with these other folks. It's a big deal. So I want to encourage you, if you struggle with your Sabbath keeping and struggle to know what to do on the Lord's day, if all else fails, throw a party and enjoy the rest that God has given you. This ruler of the Pharisees is not hostile to Jesus. He's hospitable. He's curious. He's provided Jesus a place to speak freely, to do some teaching, and that's what Jesus does. And so Jesus sits with these these folks and notice what he says to the Pharisee. Now, the reason I say the Pharisee and Jesus are getting along well, there's no hostility, is because in the midst of the meal, Jesus leans over to the man who invited him and basically says, great party, wonderful food, love being here. Next time you throw a party, why don't you have a different guest list? Next time you do something like this, Don't invite folks like us. Don't invite folks like these that you always invite. Invite different people. Those unclean, dirty people. Those impure people that you're afraid of. Go get those people on your guest list and bring them. That's what Jesus means when he says to the Pharisee, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind." You see, it had developed among the Pharisees this idea that they needed to remain set apart from everyone to keep themselves clean and uncontaminated by all these dirty, filthy people that are roaming about. And the background of this idea of the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and keeping them away probably came from a place in the book of Leviticus where God spoke to the high priest and said to the high priest Aaron, when your descendants, after you come up and they're, they want to become priests and they want to serve in the temple and offer the food of God and serve at the altar, don't let any of them who are crippled, lame, or blind do that. Because if they do it, they will contaminate, they will make impure, they will profane my sanctuaries. And so people developed this idea that if you were poor or crippled, lame or blind, then somehow you were contaminated. You were someone that needed to be pushed to the margins and set to the outside. But in that same passage where God sets limits on who can and cannot serve at his altar and temple, he says of those same people that were excluded from serving in that ministry, those folks still have a right to my holy things. They still have a right to eat my food. They have a right to be a part of my life. They have a a right to be a part of this community. And so God included those people, yet over time, somehow they had become excluded. And the Pharisees certainly excluded them. And so Jesus is asking this ruler of the Pharisee to do something that deep down inside must have caused him to grip a little, right? Made his heart shake a little bit. Oh, invite the crippled, the poor, the lame, the blind to my party. I'm trying to maintain a sense of decorum. I'm trying to stay pure. I don't want to be ritually unclean. And yet Jesus is challenging him to rethink his boundaries, to rethink his approach to life. Another reason that Jesus wants this man to rethink his guest list is because he wants the guest list of the Pharisee to line up with the guest list of God. Throughout the scriptures, God has been saying that the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind are precious to the Lord. We opened our service today with, uh, re- by reciting Psalm 113. And in that psalm, we hear God raises the poor from the dust and the needy from the ash heap he lifts up. And so you can see that at the heart of God is a love and concern for the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. God knows what you know in your heart of hearts. And that is that even they, maybe especially they, need the same rest and refreshment that you do in the Lord's Sabbath rest. God promised all of this to his people when he spoke through the prophet Isaiah And Isaiah the prophet said these things. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things, plans from of old, faithful and sure. You have been a stronghold to the poor. A stronghold to the needy in his distress. A shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat for the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall like heat in a dry place on the mountain of the lord host will make for all the on the mountain of the lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food a feast of well aged wine of rich food full of marrow of aged wine well refined and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples In his salvation, for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. What is Isaiah telling us, and why does it matter for this story? Well, Isaiah is telling us that God has promised to do something not simply for the Jewish people, but for non Jewish people, not simply for American evangelicals, but for all peoples. God will do something to bring rest and refreshment to them. And Isaiah is casting before his people this vision of a future life-giving banquet that God is preparing for all peoples. And God plans to unveil this banquet and bring us into this banquet after the resurrection of our bodies from the grave. In other words, the banquet that God is preparing for us will be given to us and we will be invited to come into it in the life after life after death. And what will be the food of this glorious banquet? It will be comfort food for our bodies and our souls. But it's more than about the food. It's not just about the food. More deeply, it is about our communion and fellowship with God. What God is promising in this vision is that his people will have face-to-face communion with him. That we will eat and drink at his table because we are his children. We belong to him. We have a place in his house. It was this kind of vision that fueled the imagination of the Pharisees and of the guests at the table. Who broke out and interrupted and said blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He wasn't changing the subject, he was simply saying in his own eloquent way, Amen, Jesus, keep preaching, because he believed these things. What I want you to know is that there was a time when among God's people, there was more to look forward to than just going to church. There was a time when among God's people, there was more to look forward to than just going to heaven and pearly gates, and golden streets. There was a time when the imagination of God's people was fueled by the fact that once God gathers us all together, there will be an eternal party, of feasting and celebration, the festivities that will never end. Why? Because fellowship will be restored between God and man. And there will be varieties and diversities of people gathered around this table. This is what Jesus wants the Pharisee and his guest to see. This is what he wants them to feel. This is what he wants them to gather. Now, he doesn't miss a beat. In in the course of the conversation, he wants to build on what he's been saying. And so he tells a parable. A parable is a fancy way to say that it's a story that tells the truth by standing on its head. And Jesus tells a parable here, the story that turns everything upside down. The people who are first invited to this banquet are the people who believe that they deserve to be invited. They are, after all, God's elect, God's chosen people. They are the ones who have many privileges and advantages that other people don't have. They're very religious. They have the law of God. They understand things about the temple. They know God in ways that no one else does. So, of course, they're going to be invited, and they not only believe they they need to be invited, but they believe they have a right to be invited. And they have exclusive rights to the Lord. Then there's this other group of people that get invited to this banquet, but they have no connection to God. They don't have the same privileges and advantages, and they respond very differently to the invitation. So Jesus tells this story Sort of flipping the world upside down, that the elect that you think would say, Yes, we love God, let's go right in. And then you have the so called non elect who are out there who respond differently. But what happens? In the parable, you have a parable of a father who is throwing a banquet, a master of the house who is throwing a banquet, and he wants all kinds of people to come. But he goes to one group first. He sends his servant, the suffering servant of the Lord, it's Jesus who goes to these chosen people and invites them to come to the banquet that they have heard about, that they should have been expecting, that the prophets had told them would be theirs. And when he goes to tell them about the banquet, they come up with these fabulous excuses about the ordinary things of life. I can't go to that extraordinary banquet because I've got this ordinary family thing to take care of. I can't go to the extraordinary banquet because I've got this ordinary investment to worry about. I can't go to the extraordinary banquet because, well, I have these other anxieties of life. And if you take what Jesus has been saying through the gospel of Luke, these excuses all amount to this kind of thing. That these people who are invited are being choked out by life's anxieties, by life's riches and pleasures. Their hearts are being weighed down with all sorts of ordinary things like family and career and retirement. The ordinary anxieties of life are eclipsing in their hearts the extraordinary glories of the life to come. They can't lift their eyes up off the earth to see heaven because this is what matters, the here and the now. And once again, you see the failure of God's people. They're doing the very thing that we saw two weeks ago with Mary and Martha. They're having a difficult time distinguishing between things that are urgent and important and necessary. The excuses they give are not bad excuses. They just fall short. They pale in comparison to what God has offered his people. And so they keep saying, no, no, we can't do that. We're very busy right now. We've got our own agendas, our own calendars, and that doesn't fit in to what we are doing. Here at RPC, you hear us talk quite a bit about the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And that might give the impression that God never gets angry, that God never displays wrath or justice. But what does Jesus tell us in this parable? If you want to make the Lord angry, you want the Lord to get upset with you, tell him you don't have time for him. Tell him you're too busy. Come up with some silly reason why you can't be a part of his life, his mission. You can't attend his banquet. The master of the house was angry with those people when the son and the servant came back and reported their responses. And so he sent his invitation to other people. Let's see if anyone else would be interested. And so the servant goes out to the places you least expect. He goes to the down and out places of the world, the dark and dirty places of the, of the city, the urban center. He goes to the alleyways. He goes to all of these weird places where he's going to find people that you least expect to be invited to this banquet. He goes out to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And this isn't just about finding like physically disabled people. It is that, but it's also about finding people who are spiritually bankrupt, spiritually empty, spiritually unworthy of being a part of this kind of thing. This is the kind of thing Jesus has been doing throughout his whole ministry. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, when Jesus launched his public ministry He goes to a synagogue in his hometown to get started, and the scripture says he found in the scroll the place where it is written in the book of Isaiah, what we would call Isaiah 60, and he read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's there to preach about God's grace to the people you least expect to hear this kind of message. When he says to the ruler of the Pharisees, Your guest list needs to reflect the guest list of God. What he was telling him is when you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind to your banquet. You are acting like God. You're showing his mercy. You're getting outside yourself for the sake of the outsider. And this is what pleases the Lord. When you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, you are on mission with God. You're on mission with God to gather as many as possible into his household. This is what you see in the ministry of Jesus. He's been modeling this for his people, revealing to us in body, in sweat, and in blood, the very things that God has promised and so, throughout his ministry, Jesus carries out the mission of God by preaching the gospel of grace, by providing food for the hungry, by providing life for the dead, healing for the sick. He does these things in fulfilling the mission of God. He picks fights with the rich and the proud, and he pulls up from the dust and the ashes, the humble and the poor. And Jesus is doing all of these things among people who are very religious and people who are not so religious at all. And he does this all the way to the ends of the world. So if we dig deeply into the parable, we see that what Jesus is expressing to the guest at that banquet and to us today is that he was sent by the father to gather as many as possible into the Father's house so they could enjoy the banquet that the Father had prepared for them. This is not just extend an open invitation and hope and pray that someone might want to come. No, this is a personal invitation. Where Jesus goes and the text says that he is sent to compel people to come. The word compelled in Greek is a word that means force. Leave them no other option. Don't take no for an answer. This is how important and how urgent, how necessary this invitation to the banquet is. Go and get those people and make them feel the weight and the necessity of coming to this future banquet at the end of all things. This is the mission of God in the world. Jesus was on mission with God, doing what God had sent him, doing what his father had sent him to do. And now we are on mission with Jesus in the world, doing what Christ did for us, bringing us into the father's house, sending us out to gather others, to bring them into the father's house. And why? Because this is the heart of God for the outsider. This is the heart of God for the world. You see it in the... In the parable, right? The reason the father keeps sending this servant back out is because he says, my house is not yet full. There's still room at the table. There's still a place for you. There's still a place for others to come. And you don't always get that impression. And I regret to announce that sometimes the church has given the impression that we have... Just enough people, maybe too many already. But the father says, no, there is more than enough space for people to come. The more, the merrier, the more, the merrier. And once we begin to reflect the heart of God in our own life and mission as a church, then that begins to spill over into our community, it begins to spill over to our nation, to our world Once the church of Jesus Christ gets on mission with God and says, wait a minute, seating is not limited. There's still room in the Father's house. We need to gather all who will come. No matter how empty, no matter how broken, no matter how wounded or lost they might be, there is room enough in the Father's house. And so he keeps sending his servants back out. Go get more people. We're not done yet. There's plenty of food at this banquet. So we need to know that Jesus came for you. He came for others. He came for the outsiders because he wants to eat with us. The Father wants his house to be filled. But there are two things I want you to know as we wrap up this message today. One is that if you resist the grace That is extended to you. And if you make up excuses and refuse to come on God's terms, you need to know that God will totally honor your desire and totally honor your decision. He won't be happy about it, he'll be angry about it. But he'll totally honor your decision and give you what you want and let you go your own way. You will never taste of his banquet. And you will have only yourself to blame. You might get angry with the Lord when you figure that out, when it's too late. But you will not be as angry with the Lord as you will be with yourself forever. Because the invitation was in your hand. It was in your ears. It was in your heart. And you decided you had better things to do. On the other hand... If you receive his invitation and lay down your burdens and come on his terms, you will find not only space for you in the house of God, but you will find your place at his table. A place that has been prepared for you. A place with your name on it, showing that you belong there. And you will always taste of the feast and the festivities in the kingdom of God. Because God will also honor that desire And that decision as well. And that is good news. What I want you to know, after all that I've said and all we've done today, what I want you to know is this. There is a place for you in the house of God and at the table of the Lord because there is a place for you in the heart of God. His heart is for you. It's heart is for you, and that's why I invite you to come and to eat and to drink and to prepare yourself for the great banquet at the end of all things. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray.